Hey there. I'm still Julie. And it's still Jeremy. And we're two physicians asking. Hey, what the hell? And we're back. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Julie. Love to be back. Oh, it's so good to hear you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Uh, hey, anything uh, made you say what the health recently? <laughs> I don't know, man. What didn't make me say what the health? I feel like that's my new tagline when I want to say, yeah, like what fresh hell is this? And <laughs> or like, what's up with that? It's a good um, way of like, uh, po- you know, Prom- promoing the podcast as you just oh, for say sure. what the hell in the middle of a bunch we're, of people and yeah, they're like, why do you, what are you saying? Yeah. We're trying to make fetch happen here, right? <laughs> just, <laughs> just ease it into the vernacular. No one will know. <laughs> what, what do you want to talk about today? You got a chief complaint for us? Uh, I sure do have a chief complaint. And I think this is going to be a really, really interesting one. I'm uh, super excited for our listeners, uh, for this guest that we have on. So my chief complaint is, what is the deal with pelvic floor health. Um, and does it just relate to women? Can men have pelvic floor issues? Like who deals with that? Um, what, what do we, you know, give me all that information. And thankfully we have the absolutely wonderful Lance Frank with us today, who is a pelvic floor specialist, physical therapist in Atlanta, Georgia, where I think it might be slightly hotter there right now than it is here in Chicago, but I don't quote me on that. But I am overjoyed to have Lance with us today. So Lance Frank, welcome. So happy to have you. Yay! Hey, Julia. Hey, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm super excited to be here. Um, Well, yeah, I guess guess I'll get into it. Yeah, (laughs) Um, tell us, who's who's Lance Frank? Give us the the skinny, my friend. That's a great question. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like, existential who is, crisis who is right there. Um, <laughs> that's why they pay us the big bucks. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, the, um, the zero dollars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Lance Frank. I'm I'm Lance Frank. I'm like like Julia said. I'm a pelvic floor PT in Atlanta. Um, I treat pelvic floor dysfunction. But um, long before I got here, I grew up in Missouri. I went to the University of Missouri for undergrad. And I got a master's of public health from Mizzou as well. Um, And then I moved to Atlanta to go to PT school, graduate school down here. And so I've been here since 2014. Um, Seems kind of crazy that that I've lived here this long already, but I guess I I call Atlanta home now. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I graduated in 2017 and immediately out of PT school went into pelvic floor. At that point, I was kind of a dual ortho pelvic PT um, specialized and, you know, generalized orthopedics, but also was tiptoeing into the world of pelvic health. Um, And as the years went on, the ratio of what I treated kind of flipped. And now ultimately, I really only see pelvic floor. Um, And I mean, one could argue that pelvic health is also orthopedic, but I always tell my patients, I treat everything above the knees and below the rib cage, but, and I'm an orthopedic therapist by trade, but I further specialized in the pelvic floor um, and the pelvis specifically. Um, 
So my practice in Atlanta, I'm here in Midtown in the heart of Atlanta and uh, kind of the gay Mecca, if you will. Most of my patients are, are, <laughs> are men or people with penises. Um, and so I see a lot of male pelvic floor dysfunction. Uh, I'm also gay, outwardly, openly identify as a gay man, practice as a gay clinician. I've built my practice on kind of being an LGBTQ provider and being a safe space for the queer community. Um, and so most of my patients, just by the nature of who I am, are also men or people with penises and also identify somewhere along the LGBTQ spectrum. Um, that's not to say that that's exclusively who I treat. I see a lot of cis, you know, hetero people, um, mm-hmm. but the bulk of my caseload are, are, are gay men with penises. <laughs> um, there you go. So yeah, that's a, that's a little bit about my practice in a nutshell <laughs> and who I am. I love it. I love it. That was a great synopsis. I feel like that. Yeah, that's such a hard question to answer, but you, you've got you've got a really great elevator pitch right there. I love that. <laughs> it's just so unique, Lance, to end up in the situation that you're in, like with what you're treating and even the niche that you're in. Like, what drove you to look into pelvic health? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a that's a great question. Um, <laughs> and honestly, I kind of stumbled into it by accident. I in in <laughs> PT school, like honestly, and a lot of it's becoming a new earth, new age topic, if you will, like more what talked about. But even in my graduate program, I went to Emory here in Atlanta. It's the top at the time that I was there, the number three program in the country for PT schools. And it, we had one lecture and one lab about pelvic floor dysfunction. And it mainly revolved around, you know, childbearing people and postpartum. Like that was pretty much the bulk of what it was about. So even then in PT school, when I, it was introduced to us, I was like, absolutely not. That is that's not at all. <laughs> None for me. Thank you. No, thank you. Um, it wasn't until one of my clinicals, you know, we, we go on three long-term clinicals and they're 12 weeks long each. And during my orthopedic clinical, my, um, <laughs> my, pel- or my orthopedic clinical instructor, she, dabbled in pelvic health as well and kind of introduced the idea of pelvic floor to me she she saw a handful of pelvic floor patients but most of her patients were ortho and that's really where my eyes were open of just like how prevalent pelvic floor dysfunction is it's not just limited to females or vulva or or vulvas and you know childbearing people um it's anyone with a pelvis can have pelvic floor dysfunction and so after that clinical i really started to just I started learning more about it, honestly, doing my own research because they don't teach us that in PT school. Um, I There's an institute that I've taken all of my training through, uh, Herman and Wallace, for, for physical therapists. Well, actually, MDs, PAs, NPs, they can also take public floor classes through Herman and Wallace, but it's primarily for physical therapists. And um, I, that's who I've taken all my training through. And fortunately, they allow students to take uh, their the intro pelvic floor class before you graduate. So I took their intro class before I graduated from my program. And really that was the class that really just like blew my mind about how much I didn't know of, you know, the body and the pelvic floor or the, the musculoskeletal system. And that's really where I was like, okay, I'm going to really make a career out of this. And so it, you know, it gradually evolved over the years. Um, I, I, like I said, I started primarily in ortho. My first job out of PT school was mostly ortho with a small percentage of pelvic patients. Um, and as my experience and the training that I took through the Institute that I mentioned kind of grew and evolved and progressed, the ratio of my clientele and patients kind of 
flipped. And so now I'm, like I said, mainly a pelvic floor PT, but that's the the long wind version of how I got here. <laughs> it's just, like I said, kind of stumbled into it. <laughs> so cool, man. Yeah. My, my thought process is that I think you and me and Jeremy are kind of in similar stages of our career. I mean, I think we all kind of started in like the early mid 2010s to be like actually like in practice. And so my joke is that this is like the sophomore year of my career. <laughs> so it's really like figuring out like, what am I into and building your practice the right way and being, you know, I'm really curious, uh, and we'll probably get to this later, but um, like, how, how do you get folks referred to you? Like, do you, I mean, I'm assuming just like any physical therapist, you know, you had to sort of market yourself in some way, um, which is kind of like, I mean, even physicians have to do that too, especially when you're starting off in practice to kind of like know that you're the new kid on the block and, um, and what you're into. And, um, but like you think with a, with kind of a relatively niche, you know, patient group, which this just is showing my own ignorance of like, well, I don't know. I don't think that many guys have pelvic floor dysfunction, but I'm assuming I'm going to be proven totally wrong. But, um, yeah, like how do you, how do you, how do patients find you? Like, is it just word of mouth? Is it, are you partnered with physicians? Um, I know in the state of Illinois, for example, just within the last year, there was laws that created direct access so that patients could have a fair amount or a limited, but a fair amount of physical therapy sessions covered by their insurance, um, without needing a physician's order. Like, do you guys have similar stuff like that? So are patients, are patients just finding you because they heard about you somewhere? Or do you have like, um, other healthcare providers that refer patients to you? Like, how do you, how do you catch the folks that need you? Great question. And honestly, all of the above. When I first started in pelvic floor, I did a lot of pounding the pavement, you know, mm-hmm. in the, in the field of pelvic floor PT, there aren't, there, there are a lot of pelvic PTs, especially here in Atlanta, you could throw a rock out my window and you could hit another pelvic floor PT, but they primarily are cisgender hetero women that primarily treat female or vulvar pelvic floor dysfunction, and even more specifically, primarily treat pre postpartum patients. Like when, and, you know, similar to my training, like when people think of pelvic floor, they think, oh, someone who just had a baby. And so most people in the field of pelvic PT identify in those categories and treat that category of patients. So the first part of like, you know, building my practice and building my career was just like being like, Hey, I'm a guy, I'm gay. I'm a pelvic floor PT. This is who I treat and what I can treat. Like anyone that doesn't fit in the affirmation, affirmation categories, like send them to me. (laughs) Yeah, sure. People with penises, people going through gender affirmation surgeries, you know, all sorts of diagnoses that are not, that don't revolve around giving birth are like, I always tell patients or I always tell people, I'm kind of like, <laughs> kind of like a unicorn of the pelvic PT community. Like yeah. everything that's not, that doesn't fit in that box. Like those are the people that I want, like send them to me. So anyways, I, um, when I was building my practice and building my career, that's basically, that was like my elevator pitch to, to different physicians, different chiropractors, you know, in Georgia, you mentioned in Illinois, the direct access law in Georgia, we have a similar direct access law. Patients can, I think it's six days or 
21, 21 days or six visits before they have to have a physician's referral. Um, but honestly, a lot of my patients and because of the, the connections and network networking that I've done, most of my patients are referral based patients that come from physicians. And so a lot of them already have prescriptions to come to come to therapy. Um, and those that don't, you know, I, even though we have direct access and I, you know, I don't claim to be the smartest person on the planet. And so I think that I'm very confident and competent at what I do, but I always love when patients have a physician partner on, on their team as well. Um, somebody that I can like talk to and ask questions and, you know, we spend, I spend 90 minutes for all of my new patient intakes and 60 minutes for follow-ups. So I spend a lot of time with these people. And honestly, as you guys know, your physicians, you don't get to spend a lot of, well, I don't know about your practices, no. but most physicians <laughs> don't get to spend a lot of time with their patients. And yeah. so um, I love having a physician to at least like talk to and check in with if patients um, have one. And if they don't, I have, I've built a team of, of, of MDs in the city that I work closely with. And so if they don't have, if they find me on Google or if they've found me on Instagram or TikTok, if they come in, um, I have, I like to connect them with another physician so that they have another person on their care team. Um, and all of my like referral sources, you know, I've done because of the population of people that I treat, you know, there's a lot of like implicit biases and a lot of just like judgment. And so a lot of patients, I, I hold a lot of weight with the referrals that I make and I don't give them out loosely to, to physicians. And so the people that I have in my like back pocket are people that I've built a strong relationship with and I like wholeheartedly trust. Um, and so it back to your original question yeah. kind of went down a rabbit hole there, but how do people find me? Um, most, most of my patients find me, like I said, through their, their physician or, um, I've invested a lot of money on my website SEO for people to like Google how to find me. Um, yeah, smart. It's, you know, it, it, whenever we're talking about patients that have given birth or, you know, that are perimenopausal or, you know, any sort of like pain with penetration diagnoses, like if, if it's a, a woman, you know, there are a lot of, you know, you've got book clubs, you've got yoga groups, you've got mom groups, like it's a lot less taboo for women to talk about things going wrong downstairs, but men and people with penises, like it's, there's a lot of shame associated with it when we're talking about erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation or delayed ejaculation or pain with pain with ejaculation, anything that has to do with the penis and it not working a lot of times there's a lot of shame associated with it. And so guys, just because of the, you know, toxic masculinity culture that is America, it, sure. it makes it, it makes it hard for guys to, to, I don't want to say get help, but talk about these sorts of subjects. And yeah. so most guys that I've found um, that come see me, they've done one of two things. They've, like I said, they've talked to their physician. So they've, their physician referred them to me or they've gone down a Google rabbit hole and Google has led them to me. Um, I, I mentioned my TikTok. I, I started my TikTok account at the beginning of COVID whenever, you know, all in-person care was shut down. And so it was my means of like being a therapist without actually being a therapist. And it just 
I never intended for it to happen this way, but it just kind of snowballed and exploded. And so I get a good amount of referral. Well, I, sh- I get a good amount of connections from TikTok that then turn into in-person patients. And so social media has been a really valuable tool for finding mm-hmm. new people as well. Um, Do you want to share what your TikTok um, username is, Lance? <laughs> would you like to share that with us? I would, I would, I would love to. I uh, think it's yeah. the best thing I've ever heard. So please. I, I think it's hilarious. Um, yeah, it's Lance in your pants. Lance in your pants. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All of my friends and and my my partner at home and uh, I've told that we were doing this interview and I was like, oh my god, I'm so excited! This therapist, he's amazing. He's on TikTok. He's a pelvic floor PT, and his yeah. handle is Lance in your pants. <laughs> yeah. Say so when I when I was making coming up with like my TikTok like page, I really like was talking to my partner and I was like, you know, is this like going to be inappropriate? Are people going to find this like? Yeah not okay and yeah. ultimately like i i this is these are subjects that are like i said there's a lot of shame associated with them yep. and so I, I wanted to find a way to like make lighthearted comedic jokes out of these this sort of like educational information and it all starts with your username of like how people find you and so sure. You know, uh, hopefully people get a vibe from me right away that my name is Lance in your pants. <laughs> and, You're um, right. That it's like, so, oh, he's fun. This is going to be fun. Right. So that's, that's how that came about. <laughs> well, so, so, well, so first of all, if, if anybody listening gets nothing else out of this entire conversation, make sure you check out Lance on, on social media because you oh, will learn please. a lot as, as, yes. as I have over the, even, even over the past couple of weeks since I've been introduced yep. to him. Um, and we'll make sure to have all that information and Lance will tell us at the end again, but I, yeah. I don't think many people will forget Lance in your pants, uh, as far as. <laughs> TikTok is concerned, but it's perfect it. for what we're trying to accomplish here. Also, everything you just said over the like the past like ten minutes of this podcast, Lance had yeah. me in complete awe for uh, just n- numerous reasons. The first and foremost, you provide care in an underserved population, and not in mm-hmm. the way that we think underserved. I think when people hear underserved, they think socioeconomically or certainly mm-hmm. you know like racial or whatever. And this is completely an underserved population, and I think that that mm-hmm. is incredible. Uh, one that you're very, very passionate about, and I think that was the other thing that I was completely in awe about is that you found a, a niche that you are super passionate about. So, like your daily mm-hmm. job, you're doing something that you love and are passionate about, and I just think that it's very hard to find that. So, um, and, and even harder probably as a patient to find somebody who's doing that. I think a lot of the practitioners, both in as doctors or physical therapists, you know, like the concept of their job, but maybe mm-hmm. don't love every minute of what they're treating. And so mm-hmm. uh, it comes through in your, in your interview, it comes through in your social media, it comes through that, like, obviously, people are getting really good care from you. That's I want to, you. yeah, right, right. I want to take, I want to go way to the beginning here. And I want to really just talk about what the hell is the, pel- what the health is the pelvic floor. Okay? <laughs> because way, I, I, Julie, I don't know if you remember anatomy class but like that was really the only time i feel like in medical school that the pelvic floor came up because we did dissect the, ana- the yes. pelvic floor yeah. and the only one i really remembered from the time was the levator ani because that one's just very easy to remember because it's called yeah, the levator probably, because ani. You, probably because you thought it was funny too probably. i mean let's be serious yeah. i mean I, I sure did i feel like it lifts up your anus Great. Yeah. It's uh, just right so, there in the title. Yeah. But, but again, like, I don't think that certainly the teaching in anatomy, but even later on when we learned in medical school, 
didn't tell us really the functionality. No. It was like, okay, it's just like the bottom. There it is. And yeah. so tell your guts from spilling out. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would love to hear from somebody who knows what the hell's going on down there or what the health's going on down there uh, to tell us what it is. What is it? Sure. Um, yeah, that is a great question. Um, I have got a couple different things I want to say to that question, but first <laughs> I'll just go over the anatomy. So yes. in ter- when we're talking about the pelvic floor, the pelvic floor in people with penises, there's 12 muscles and in people with vaginas, there's 14. And those muscles are roughly oriented the same way, except in people with penises, the superficial exterior muscles they, I call them the banana peel muscles. They kind of wrap around the the penis like a banana peel and they contribute to erections, urination, ejaculation. Um, And so aside from, you know, in a vulva or a vagina, there's like a canal opening. Those muscles encompass or encircle the penis just like this. Um, I'm connecting my forefinger and thumb for all the listeners. So Mm -hmm. they they encircle the penis. Um, But anyways, so those muscles, like I said, they're primarily responsible for urinary function, bowel function, sexual function, and then they also play an overall supportive role of our bodies. Um, so there's, like I said, there's, there's a superficial and a deeper layer there. I assess them both externally and internally, either if depending on your genitalia, it's either through the vagina or through the rectum. Um, and so most of my, so when we're talking about like types of patients that come in and see me, Patients generally either have an, what's called an underactive pelvic floor or an overactive pelvic floor. Um, when we're talking about underactive, think about, you know, the population that I mentioned earlier, you know, peri, peripartum, perimenopausal, some t- sort of like cancer, radiation treatment, surgery, like they just need a little bit more strengthening. They've lost tone uh, for whatever reason. Then they're an overactive pelvic floor patients walk around with a clenched pelvic floor or a clenched butthole, if you will, all day long without ever, ever, ever relaxing it. And for me specifically, not all pelvic PT practices are this way, but just because of who I am and the niche of people that I've like really tried to like target, most of my patients fall into that overactive pelvic mm. floor camp. Okay, And so they just, you know, for a lot of different reasons, stress, childbirth, surgery, C-sections, also, you know, cancer, radiation treatment, um, trauma, sexual abuse, falls. There are a lot of reasons as to why somebody can develop an overactive pelvic floor, but I, time and time again, probably the most common cause is stress. You know, the type A, like detail-oriented people usually have this like tight, puckered pelvic floor that never, ever, ever relaxes. And the, it's hard for people to conceptualize a pelvic floor if they've never like if a, if this is the first time hearing about it and B have never seen one. And typically when I'm giving like my patient intake, this is where I pull up my little anatomy model and you can actually kind of see it behind me, but, or I I'll use my little anatomy app and kind of go through the specific muscles with them. Um, but, um, when we're talking about an overactive pelvic floor, I always equate the muscles like the same type of muscle fibers that are in the pelvic floor are the same type of muscles that are in your bicep or in your quad or in your calf. They're skeletal muscles, meaning that we have voluntary control over them. I don't have to explain this to you guys, but skeletal muscles, meaning that like we have voluntarily voluntary control over them. We should be able to have the ability to, to relax and contract them. Um, 
And whenever, you know, if we're talking about somebody's bicep, if somebody squeezes their elbow as hard as they can and makes a, you know, makes a muscle, but then they squeeze it as hard as they can all day long, eventually they're going to develop some sort of contracture or shoulder pain or elbow pain or wrist pain, or, you know, something is going to develop and we don't, this isn't functional. We don't cook like this. We don't drive like this. We don't eat like this. Like our muscles have to be able to, to relax and contract. And so I always, because people can like visualize a bicep, you know, I always like go through this, like lengthening and extending my elbow and flexing just so that I can explain that like these muscles have that contractile property. They, they should be able to relax. And if patients have held this like clenched pelvic floor position for an extended period of time, they can also develop, I don't, I don't want to call them contractures in therapy. We call them trigger points, but you can develop trigger points or taut muscle bands and those can cause pain or contribute to urinary symptom incontinence, um, stress incontinence, um, you know, constipation, hemorrhoids, fissures, erectile dysfunction. There are a lot, I could go through a whole host of symptoms that an overactive pelvic floor could be traced back to. Um, but in a nutshell, like there's uh, underactive, overactive, or normal, quote unquote normal. And really the only way, if you have symptoms that you've seen a physician for that, you know, they keep giving you antibiotics or they keep writing you prescriptions or keep offering surgical interventions, um, there are a lot of times more conservative measures and therapy that can help a lot of people. Um, and so to your initial point, Jeremy, about just like your training in, in medical school, I think this is a, and it's not just medical school, it's PA schools, NPs, PT programs. And, you know, it's, it's vastly under talked about and vastly there's just like, there's not a lot of information and education about the pelvic floor unless you go searching for it. Right. Um, I, you know, again, I'm not, I don't claim to be the smartest person in the room or to be the smartest person on the planet, but a lot of the physicians that I talk to have no idea what a pelvic floor is and what it, what we have the capability to do for their patients. And I've had some patients or some physicians, you know, look at me like I have eight heads and <laughs> I've had several physicians laugh at me and like, basically like, I don't want to say throw me out of their office, but just are completely shut down and closed to any sort of like learning about anything other than what they've been doing their entire careers. Um, it, I would be remiss if I didn't say that most of those physicians tend to be in the, the, the earlier demographic or earlier age range, um, older age range, if you will, the, the newer physicians coming that I've come in contact with are super, super open to learning about, you know, musculoskeletal, the musculoskeletal side of their, of their patients. And yeah, I, I work with a lot of gastroenterologists and urologists and proctologists and colorectal surgeons. Like I work with a lot of really smart people that often admit that they didn't get a lot of training when it comes to like the muscles and the connective tissue and the fascial components of the pelvic floor. Um, and that's why I really love and respect the physicians that I do work with is because it's really fun whenever a physician asks me kind of input on a patient that they have that they think would benefit from PT. And if it's somebody that's appropriate for them to refer, um, it's just, I, I love to teach and I love to yeah. talk about what I do. And so it, it's kind of fun. Um, I, I hold a lot of respect and a lot of regard for people like yourselves and physicians that are open to learning and willing to like adapt to their practices. Um, 
Well, that's part of the reason that we created this podcast, honestly, Lance, is that we were, A, I think Jeremy and I want a fun way for ourselves to learn things and like not really have to work that hard (laughs) (laughs) other than setting up. Well, Jeremy does all the work for this podcast, so I will, I'm only speaking for myself. But no, I mean, the, the concept of you don't know what you don't know. Um, and, and being kind of pissed off at the arrogance of physicians that do think that they know everything. And really it's maybe, you know, the realization that maybe, maybe I'm the dinosaur, maybe I'm the one that won't adapt. Like, no, it's the children that are wrong, you know, like (laughs) trying to get over that, um, that, you know, that part of your ego that doesn't want to be wrong. Um, but yeah, we're, that's why we're so glad to have you and why we love having these conversations because this is the way that we learn things. And I think it's great to have someone like you who is, is willing to kind of use different and more creative means of teaching, like using TikTok and, you know, mm-hmm. and like using Instagram and putting yourself out there. Um, I don't know. I'm, I've eaten it up, man. I'm, I'm digging it big time. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, for sure. I'm learning. I'm learning a ton, uh, which is which which is great. And I I think Julie, we the the other thing is Lance really pointed out that like he gets patients two ways, and, and you think about like the luck that has to go into a patient yes. one of those two ways ending up in your office, mm-hmm. Lance, like through a doctor. Okay, well now you have to be seeing a doctor if they haven't been referred directly by you. They have to be seeing a mm-hmm. doctor who a even knows that the pelvic floor exists, B is willing to acknowledge <laughs> that this could be coming from there and C know that they have resources like yourself. And then if that's not the way they're doing it, they're Googling it. I mean, think about how random those searches could end up being and how they end up. So th- the fact is, is if we can put out some information that people learn mm-hmm. more about these topics, that, that that is exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to get to the bottom of important topics that people are not hearing enough about, or frankly, just have to Google all the time instead of actually- Frankly, from- Lance, frankly- Yes. We we try to put as many puns as possible into the podcast. <laughs> it ends up me just uh, interrupting Jeremy like an asshole <laughs> most of the time, but he, this is what he signed up for and I hopefully... Well, the, the, the early polling on the podcast is that Julie's the popular one, so... <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> funny one. <laughs> that's true. The, the, the no, much, no, the no, much no, funnier no, no. one. Um, Jeremy so, holds this ship together. I'm trying to sink it. <laughs> How you've already mentioned um, a bunch of symptoms, and, and and certainly it sounds like a lot of things can can happen in yeah. this area. Maybe give us a sense of these will kind of go together maybe, but like how somebody knows, A, this could be my problem and B, how do you know when you're done with them? So like, how do you know when the Ooh, treatment's good one, done? Good one. Both of those are very large questions. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to break that up. Uh, so sure. first, like how would somebody know if this is what they've got going on? Um, I'm going to start with penile anatomy. So if someone's got a penis, you know, Typically, I see a lot of pain, a lot of pain diagnoses that have gone unexplained for or have been lumped into a diagnosis called prostatitis. Um, Prostatitis in like the orthopedic world is similar Mm -hmm. to like somebody saying they have sciatica, like, or they have like low back pain, like, okay, you have low back pain, but what does that mean? Yeah, it's (laughs) like a wastebasket term, we call it, right? It's just like you can lump so many actual dysfunctions into this, like, yeah, we're going to call it that so we can have a diagnosis code to put on it so that we can justify our treatment really is probably a big part of it. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and so prostatitis is one of those diagnoses that I see a lot of. There's a lot of men that come in saying that they have prostatitis. And whether there's bacteria or not, they do a urine mm-hmm. culture to f- see whether there's bacteria. I forget the research, but the thing it's like upwards of like 80 to 85% of patients that are diagnosed with prostatitis don't actually have a bacterial infection. Yeah. And so they're just constantly being prescribed antibiotics for no reason. And mm-hmm. it's not to say that it's not beneficial, but it's likely not beneficial. But that's what we learn how to do, Lance. We, we As doctors, we learn how to prescribe yes. things. I drugs, mean, we literally, drugs spend, at it. yeah, right. So the, and that's, I, I, I hear you. And that's, you know, Coming, I, I try to hold a lot of grace for for people and physicians, particularly urologists, even more specifically. That you know, if you've never heard of the pelvic floor, you've never heard of pelvic floor PT. You know, with prostatitis, it's tricky if you're just looking at it from a medical aspect, especially if there's no bacterial reason for the the symptoms that are coming up. Or like, I see a lot of patients that have had three, four, five cystoscopies or prostate exams or you know, urethral stricture. There's a lot of like tests and measures that physicians will do to try to find an answer when, when all of those keep coming back negative, it's like, let's throw some antibiotics at it and still nothing really happens. And so, um, patients that have chronic pelvic pain, seemingly unexplainable, you know, pelvic pain, again, could, there's a lot of things that could go wrong. Testicular pain, pain with erections, pain with ejaculation, um, retrograde ejaculation there's delayed ejaculation premature ejaculation um i see just general perineal pain so the perineum is that space between the vagina or the scrotum and the anus um that tiny little spot there it's called the perineal body some patients will say it feels just it just feels like i'm sitting on a golf ball like things just feel really tight and tense and it feels like i'm just sitting on something down there um so that's a common complaint with prostatitis. Prostatitis and chronic pelvic pain syndrome have kind of been, it's like prostatitis slash chronic pelvic pain syndrome. Like they're very similar um, in how they present because they're just kind of junk terms. They Everything gets lumped into those two ter- or two diagnoses. Um, but I also see a lot of erectile dysfunction and that typically has not been associated with something that pelvic floor therapy can treat and full disclosure, pelvic floor PT may not help everyone with erectile dysfunction. But if you've seen a cardiologist and it's not a blood flow issue, and if you've seen, you know, your primary care doctor and it's not any sort of other health issue like diabetes or, you know, high cholesterol, anything like that, it could be a pelvic floor musculoskeletal issue. And I'm going to go off on just a tiny little tangent here and kind of explain why, because I often get a lot of like, what kind of looks at this, um, And I always explain it like if you were to just clench your fist really, 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 really hard for a long period of time, and then if you just open it, you can see kind of all the blood kind of refilling back into the capillaries into your hand, like the same kind of principle can be applied to the penis. If the pelvic floor muscles aren't allowing blood flow into the penis because they're so tightly contracted, somebody's going to have a hard time getting a hard on. It's just like it. They have to be able to relax. That's part of the function of the pelvic floor is to act, contract and relax to pump blood into the penis. Um, There's a lot of like physiological and psychological processes that have to happen as well, you know, arousal and stimulation. But from a musculoskeletal standpoint, if the muscles aren't able to just relax enough to allow the canals to open for blood flow to go in there, um, it's going to be really hard to get a boner. Um, 
I always tell patients it's kind of like wearing a cock ring. If you've ever experienced or know of a cock ring, it's basically just a little ring that goes around the penis to hold blood flow in there. And so they kind of act in that same way to kind of pump blood into the penis and then keep them in there. Hmm. Um, but so with, you know, like I said, there's erectile dysfunction. Also, I, like I said, I see a lot of gay men or not just gay men in general, but people that partake in anal penetration. Anal, I see a lot of anodysprenia, so patients that have pain with anal penetration. You know, it's there's a, a huge misconception that anal is just going to be painful. And while I would argue that it may be uncomfortable and there may be pressure, it should never be painful. And if it is, you know, that may be an overactive pelvic floor component or like the internal anal sphincter, the external anal sphincter just needs a little bit more down training and lengthening and relaxation kind of like techniques and maneuvers. Um, but um, when we're talking about vulvas or, you know, people, women, um, like the, the obvious pre postpartum, there's, you know, if you're having prolapse or incontinence, stress incontinence, or, you know, if you have urge incontinence, that basically means if you've got the urge to pee, your pelvic floor muscles don't have the ability to hold the urine. So you have, you leak, um, you know, with stress incontinence, that's more of like leaking with laughing, coughing, sneezing, running, jumping, um, more of like pressure system issues of just like, there's too much pressure going on to the pelvic floor and that causes leaking. Um, with prolapse, you can have uterine, a rectal prolapse, you can have a bladder prolapse, um, just things just falling out because the pelvic floor is not strong enough to hold things in place. Or I've seen patients that have a too strong a pelvic floor and they're not managing pressure well, and it's just pushing on top. And so an overactive pelvic floor can also cause prolapse. There's a, there's a lot of symptoms that overlap between overactive and underactive pelvic floor, and it can be kind of confusing. And really the only way to know which camp you fall into if you have these symptoms is just to get a pelvic floor exam by a physical therapist, because it's not the same as going to like your urogyne or your OB and having them do a, a, a pelvic exam because it's two very different exams. We're checking yeah. two completely different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's a good transition to tell us kind of like what, what does an appointment with you look like? So somebody yeah. like walks in and they're seeing you, what does that look like? Sure. Um, so for the initial evaluation, like I said, I spend 90 minutes with each patient for the intake because you know, most of the time patients have never heard again about what a pelvic floor is and what all it's responsible for. And so I do a lot of education, a lot of just like talking. Um, I listen to, I take a subjective, I, I listen to kind of what they've got going on. I ask a few more probing questions about very specific pelvic floor related questions. Um, and then generally there's a, some sort of a movement screen. So in PT, there's something called the FMA or the SFMA, uh, sports MDs, you may have heard of it. But um, so I just do a quick kind of movement screen to see kind of how well they move in their body, just kind of observe range of motion, flexibility limitations, um, functional movement patterns. And then I do an orthopedic exam. So I'll check strength, range of motion, flexibility, I'll palpate or assess muscle tension or trigger points in different muscle groups like the abdominal wall or the glutes or the inner thighs. Um, and then generally, um, there's a pelvic exam. Obviously, if they're coming in for pelvic floor dysfunction, there's likely going to be a pelvic exam. Um, and I always start with an external exam. Obviously, you know, I've built a lot of rapport and trust at this point with patients. Like we kind of, there's a lot of education and explaining and consent that goes into everything that I do. And so 
if patients are okay with it, then we move into a pelvic exam. And um, I start externally, like I said, and the pelvic floor, we haven't talked about it, and this could be a whole interview in and of itself, but the pelvic floor works very closely with the diaphragm and how this like piston mechanism happens in our mm-hmm. body. And so one of the the first things I do is I check that like mechanism of I just have patients breathe and kind of see what their, their pelvic floor perineum is doing in response to them just kind of existing. Um, and then we go through that kind of mechanism. If I likely nine times out of 10, I see what I expect to see. And so I teach them and coach them and tell them like they're, I'm getting ahead of myself. This is a process where I teach patients how to relax, relax the pelvic floor, how to like take, take tension out of the pelvic floor. And so we spend a good amount of time going through that because that's a big bulk of why patients are in their, in my clinics, because they don't know how to relax the pelvic floor. So we go through that and then there's a palpation exam where I'll feel externally along the perineum. Um, if you can imagine a a clock on your pelvis, you know, 12 o'clock is your pubic bone, six o'clock is your tailbone. Um, I just go around a clock in the perineum and I'm assessing for any sort of tight muscle bands or trigger points or muscle tension that may recreate some of their symptoms. Um, and then, like I said, if patients are okay with it and, you know, consent is all the things, um, then there's an internal exam and internally, whether it's through the, the vagina or the rectum, I'm checking, a person's strength, how well they're able to contract the muscles around my finger. Um, I'm checking their endurance, how long they're able to hold, see if they they have the transition between slow twitch and fast twitch fibers. Um, you know, a lot of the pelvic floor's job is endurance and holding things in place for prolonged periods of time. And so that's why I'm checking somebody's endurance. And then internally, just kind of like externally, if you imagine a clock, 12 o'clock is pubic bone, six o'clock is a tailbone. I go around internally and I'm checking for different muscles um, that live in there and seeing if there's any painful trigger points or muscles that recreate any of their symptoms. Um, And then based on all of that, uh, I I formulate my assessment. We talk about what I found. I give them some exercises and some some stretches and some homework to work on um, until I can see them again. And generally I see patients, I like to see patients in a perfect world and a perfect diagnosis. I see patients once a week for several weeks, and then we transition to biweekly and then we'll transition to monthly. And then to your initial or one of your questions, Jeremy, um, we, then we transition into, into maintenance or like monthly, not monthly, but just whatever maintenance sounds like, or works for certain people. You know, I, our bodies everything's connected. We don't work in a silo, like one system doesn't work independently of another. And so I always tell patients, you know, you, we, every, how many miles, 3000 miles, we go get an oil change because our car needs to just be tuned up. You know, you could be seeing me for chronic pelvic pain. And just because I get you out of pain, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything's solved or fixed. It just means that we've taken away your pain. Um, and some patients, you know, I'm maybe the third, fourth, 10th provider that they've seen. So once we get patients to a place where they're seeing symptom reduction and they're out of place, their goals have been quote unquote met. Um, a lot of patients have a lot of anxiety about just like spreading their wings and leaving. Like they want to keep some sort of like close, you know, reins on me. And so I usually transition patients to more of like a maintenance sort of regimen where, you know, I still program all of their exercises, their stretches for them, on a monthly basis. And then they may come in every three months just for another in-person physical exam, pelvic exam, just to make sure that things are still going 
as well as they should be. Yeah. Um, but like I said, that's a, that's a perfect world sort of scenario. That's kind of how it, how it goes. That's, I, I just want to jump in. Cause I know we're, we're trying to wrap up in a little bit here f- for everybody. Um, but I feel like I'd be remiss and my husband, Adam would give me a really hard time if I didn't bring this up because you touched on uh, something that I think is really interesting and important. And I kind of wanted to get your input talking about looking at sort of pelvic floor and diaphragmatic function. Um, as a like a primary assessment of the patient, um, that we 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 did an interview again. Not sure if it'll ha- if that episode will air before or after yours is going to air with um, my husband Adam, who's a chiropractor, who's a big believer in dynamic neuromuscular stabilization or DNS, which is sort of again its own thing. We won't really talk about, but um, I love it's hard to know like how I believe in, in, in it hugely. And again, it's one of those, like, just because I don't totally understand all the ins and outs of it doesn't mean I just think that it's all horseshit. Uh, <laughs> you don't know what you don't know, but I love the concept of sort of creating a stable cylinder is sort of how it's been put to me of like, if you can activate your, you know, if the, if the ceiling of that cylinder is your diaphragm and the floor of that cylinder is your pelvic floor and, and if and if we can create that pistons, um, you know that that system that creates a really stable core, like to me, like that's really the real function of core stability. It's not so much like how well your abs are turning on. Um, and I and I'm sure you know, obviously, in your line of work, the the floor of the the pelvic floor is the is the floor of the core. Um, and uh, and Good I feel rhyming. like I wonder. <laughs> Thanks, Jeremy. I, I thought about that in my head too. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I wor- I wonder if you see concomitantly people that have overactive pelvic, uh, overactive pelvic floor, where they're chronically like clenching their butthole. I mean, that kind of <laughs> present company included on me. Like, I feel like when I'm able to even just like relax my pelvic floor, my low back pain goes away. My like tension in my lumbar spine goes away. I feel like if I'm breathing abdominally, like I just feel like that like achy, annoying, I have to move my spine to not feel crappy goes away. And I'm wondering if you see a, a lot of people that have pelvic floor dysfunction also may have concomitant back issues um, and conversely, when you improve someone's pelvic floor function, do you often see as a, as a side benefit that they have less like back and neck and like postural type issues? Cause I find that Listen- so fascinating. Yeah. Listeners can't see, but I'm like vigorously shaking my head. This again could be a whole interview subject yes. in itself, but yes. So the pelvic floor, like I said, it doesn't work in a silo. It, it, it literally is the floor of your core. You know, like you said, you've got your diaphragm, your pelvic floor, your abdominal mm-hmm. wall, and then your back muscles. Like that cylinder is mm-hmm. what in therapy and most of the therapeutic world consider your core. It's not just like doing your, your six pack and doing, you know, rock hard abs because of your sit-ups. <laughs> You have to have a stable, a stable foundation. And those four body parts are what make that. And typically, Mm -hmm. if you've got pain, or you've got dysfunction, there's a weak link somewhere. And in my line of work, typically, the weak link is the pelvic floor. And so we have to figure out the dysfunction and the coordination issues and like how to make all of that align again. But I see a lot of times, you know, there's one study that was put out that like, in the pelvic floor world, we default on a lot. I think it was like upwards of like 90, 90% of patients 
with low back pain also have concurrent pelvic floor dysfunction. And when therapists have addressed the pelvic floor dysfunction, their back pain gets better. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's kind of this like balancing act, this ratio that happens, like everything needs to be doing their part. And if something's not something else in that quadrant of those four muscles have to pick up the slack. And a lot of times it's either the low back. So the low back takes the brunt of all of the force. And so people tend to develop low back pain or it's the abdominal wall. And in terms of like pregnant people, if you have a diastasis or a separation in your abdominal wall, not only do you have a, a weak link in your abdominal wall, but you also have a weak link of the pelvic floor because everything is, you know, stretched and expanded. And so they, most, you know, postpartum people have just this like nagging low back pain because their back is just doing all of the work to stabilize them when their abs and their pelvic floor are shut off. You know, the, everyone needs to breathe. Like we wouldn't, nobody would survive if we didn't take breaths. Speak for and, yourself. Lance. <laughs> <laughs> if you figure out a way to survive without breathing, <laughs> let me know. But right, cool. the diaphragm, you know, it, it may not be working optimally, but the diaphragm has to do its job. Like that's the one part of the core that needs to function. The other three, you know, that's typically where the, the most dysfunction lies. And so a lot of, I have a lot of orthopedic PTs in my network here in Atlanta that, you know, if they're not getting somebody better because they have like chronic SI joint pain or chronic, this nagging hip pain or low back pain that they've been in therapy for weeks for, that's not getting better if they make a referral to pelvic PT, I would make a pretty hefty wager that there's some sort of pelvic floor dysfunction going on that's contributing to their symptoms. There are a lot of muscles in the pelvis that can refer up into the low back or into the hip or into the, the SI joint um, or the, you know, the pubic bone. I see a lot of um, pubic symphysis dysfunction with postpartum patients. And mm -hmm. A lot of that is just a lack of stabilization of the pelvic floor. And anyways, um, I could, go on a tangent about all of this. <laughs> yeah, we'll, but we'll sign you up for of... like four more uh, episodes <laughs> with us, Lance. Yeah. Um, but all that to say, I, I want to make sure that I say if, if people listening or if people just anywhere have, you know, chronic low back pain or SI joint pain or hip mm -hmm. pain, pain in the outside of your hip, that's just not getting better from traditional means, you know, it, I'm not going to say every time it'll be a pelvic floor dysfunction, but it's mm -hmm. worth exploring for people. Absolutely. You have such a big following on social. I would imagine you have a lot of people not in the Atlanta area. And I think a lot of our listeners are probably not in the Atlanta area, although we would love to have a lot more Atlanta yes, listeners. Please. So for all you... <laughs> Atlantonians. Atlanta yeah, please. That's <laughs> not the right word, is it? <laughs> no. And we just lost all of our Atlanta listeners. <laughs> um, <so>, Atlanteans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. It, what do you tell people that comment <laughs> on your thing that they're like, I think I need to see somebody who does this, but yeah. I, how do I find that person? So that's a, um, that's a good question. All of these are great questions. I don't know why I keep saying that. They're all great questions, but <laughs> Thanks, people, Lance. um, so there's a directory. Well, there's several directories that I use. So I, I do virtual consults with people, you know, I don't provide treatment, but mm -hmm. through social media, like people just want a place to talk about their symptoms yeah. and somebody mm -hmm. to listen. And so I offer that to people. And when I'm doing these, like there are three main directories that I use to help people connect with other pelvic PTs around the country. Um, and globe, really, I have a lot of people that reach out internationally for help finding somebody like myself. Um, but anyways, pelvicguru.com, pelvicguru.com mm -hmm. um, is one 
the APTA, the American Physical Therapy Association, our like mm-hmm. larger governing body of physical therapists, they also have a pelvic PT specific directory. If you just go to APTA.com or no, pelvicrehab.com, okay. um, the first, like it's right there. You just put in your zip code or your country or city and it brings up a, all the PT, pelvic PTs Love in it. your area. Um, there's one more that I'm currently blanking on. Um, Oh, or they could just follow no. you on social media. Or they could just follow yeah. me on social media. <laughs> Herman and Wallace, the institute that I take mm-hmm. all of my um, training through, they also have a pelvic, anyone that's taken any of their pelvic courses um, mm-hmm. is put on this directory. And they, you just go to um, Herman and Wallace and then put in their, um, like, like I said, zip code, city, and mm-hmm. it'll bring up all the pelvic PTs around them. And we can put that information in the bio of, yeah. uh, of this episode that's as well so that people don't perfect. have to write all that down. That's right great. Now. I, I think I, I want to wrap up and I want to start doing some quick hitters with you, but I feel like I should also point out that we've made it, I think, over 50 minutes of this podcast without saying the word Kegel once, yes. which, I, which I think has to probably be a it's record. Like a four-letter word in pelvic health and pelvic floor it, health. Now it's it, like, shut up about Kegel. Yeah, I just feel like that has to probably be a record for a pelvic health um, <laughs> Um, podcast. So I think we should address it though, right? I mean, I think we yes. have to talk about Kegels because yes, I've please. been doing them for the last 20 minutes thinking it was the right thing to do. That is a great, a great point that I feel silly that I didn't even address. Um, but so thank you for asking it. But so I would argue, I would go to bat and I'll go to my grave saying this, that most people should not be doing Kegels, should not be doing pelvic floor contractions. Um, You know, most of my patients fall into the overactive pelvic floor camp, like I said. And so if I give them a a Kegel or a pelvic floor contraction to strengthen their pelvic floor when they're already in a tightly contracted position, all that's going to do is make their pain worse. All that's going to do is make their incontinence worse or their urgency and frequency worse or their constipation worse. People should not be doing Kegels if, well, I shouldn't say should not, but I would bet that most people should not be doing Kegels. Um, yeah, would not benefit from it would and not maybe even make things it. worse. So just don't. Thank you. For, yes, Got it. That, Love it. That is what I meant. Um, Hot take. There are Loving a time it. and a place for Kegels, but most people should not likely do them. <laughs> Good. Love it. All right. Well, hey, Lance, um, we like to do some rapid fire at the end, some stuff that really has nothing to do with anything, um, but mostly uh, it just gives some levity to the situation. So um, maybe uh, I, I can go first. Uh, we, we, we already we talked a little bit beforehand offline and, and, and you've mentioned it a few times here, but but you're, you're cl- clearly um, in an awesome niche in the area that you are with the and being openly gay. And I think it's we I don't know when we're going to uh, launch this podcast, but it's it's Pride Month right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'd love for you to do is tell us one thing that's happened this Pride Month that, that you'd like to share with everybody, an experience you had or, or something that you've you've been able to share with other people or anything. Oof, put on the spot. Um, <laughs> and if you don't have something, make it up because we don't know the difference. <laughs> I mean, my my partner and I, we... Um, we have a, a house together. We have four dogs here. It's good for zoo. you. It's a zoo at our house. Um, <laughs> but we 
this is, I feel so lame. All I have, like we're going, we planned a vacation for the end of June. We're going on a week long okay. vacation to, to Key West and Fort Lauderdale. Love um, it. Nothing specifically for Pride Month. I feel kind of like a bad gay saying that. You're going to get major shade yeah, from your patients and from well, your followers that are. Atlanta's Pride Festival isn't until October because it's so hot down here so that we yeah. don't have it in June. Oh. You guys are so, smart. Yeah, I we kinda, just had ours. At the time of this taping, it was yesterday. Um, and uh, it's funny. <laughs> my my in-laws were supposed to stay at my brother-in-law's place because he lives right in what's now called North Halstead, but it was called Boys Town for the longest time. Okay. And that's like the main drag for for the parade. And they didn't realize it and they were going to stay at his place. And they they called me and they're like, Julie, we literally cannot get within six blocks of Jake's place. <laughs> so they hung out with us. Yeah, so. I spent... There you go, Jeremy. There's an anecdote from a cishet lamo. <laughs> um lance who do you follow on uh on the socials that you get that you like you know jeremy we usually ask yeah. like oh what do you what, what do you listen to in the car who do you <laughs> who do you subscribe to uh you don't have to say everybody but like what's what's somebody on tiktok or instagram that you're like is not a is a, is a can't miss as far as you're concerned i absolutely adore Elise Myers on TikTok. Oh, me too. Elise Myers just like melts my heart. And I just, she everything she puts up, I'm just like, I want to be best friends with you. She's like, uh, I just adore her. And talk uh, about like, yeah, just showing vulnerability yes. and embracing your inner awkwardness. And it like, yeah. And a lot of like great body positivity and great just mental health stuff. I, you, if we could get Let's plug her some more so that, like, make it loud so that we can get Elise here on the show to talk yeah. about whatever the hell she wants. Yeah. That would be great. So, she's, good. Uh, I'm with you on that one, Lance, 100%. Take uh, notes, Jeremy. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's, I just followed her. We're perfect. We're- Yay. <laughs> nice. Another one for Elise. Um, what is an, something that you'd like to see happen in the pelvic floor world moving forward? Like, where do you see things headed that would be a, um, something that you want to see happen more more men in my profession more men in this specific profession i um it's a good problem to have you know the clinic is very busy and i'm very busy my my caseload is busy um yeah and i'm in the process of searching for people to hire other pts to bring on board but my Mm -hmm. like I don't want to say stipulation or criteria, but because I'm pretty sure that's illegal, but yeah, I would, re- yeah. <laughs> I would really love <laughs> watch, to watch find, here, I would really love to find uh, somebody else with a penis that also identifies as a gay man to treat mm-hmm. alongside me. Um, just because of the niche of that I'm in and the way that I've built my business, like right. I would, I would really love for that to happen. Um, but Nonetheless, mainly to make your life easier, it sounds like to <laughs> to share the workload. <laughs> also that, but just in general, yeah. I would love for more men, yes. more male PTs to get into pelvic floor because a lot of people think that it's just like sticking a finger in a butthole and doing some like assessment, and people are weirded sure. out by rectums, and it's it's really not that bad. And I really wish a lot more a lot more men would get into this field because there's a lot of guys that need need help. Yeah, that, you're here. That's great. The last thing I want to finish up with is there's plenty of people listening probably who maybe. Well, hopefully plenty of people listening who don't have a pelvic floor problem maybe or or don't have a diagnosis of one, but maybe say, I want to do stuff to be preventative or not end up with one. So is there stuff that you recommend for how do I keep my pelvic floor healthy? 
That's a great question. Um, yeah, you just and, loaded like a 20 minute answer on demands <laughs> in the last two seconds. <laughs> um, you know, quick hitters. Lot, most of yeah. most of my patients have an overactive pelvic floor. And so, you know, a, a lot of mindfulness, a lot of like yoga, meditation, mm-hmm. self-care, take time for yourself. Like those are going to go like just stretch two minutes yeah. a day of just like bend over and touch your toes, like stretch, put some tension yeah. through the body. Like yeah. that's the best way to keep your pelvic floor healthy. You know, just other general well care type of stuff, you know, just mm-hmm. take care of yourself, go to go to a yoga class or mm-hmm. go for a walk in the park or mm-hmm. lay down on your floor and just lie there in silence and just, you know, try to shut your brain off for three minutes. You know, there are a yeah. lot of just like shutting your body down or, you know, trying to quiet it that mm-hmm. can go a long way for pelvic floor dysfunction. That's great. Yeah. Shavasana is my it. favorite part of yoga too. Um, so <laughs> is that just laying on your back? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's my favorite move. Um, uh-huh. Lance, tell us, tell people where they can find you. I, I know we already covered Lance in your pants, but maybe uh, <laughs> let everybody know where they can find more information about you and, and, and uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, well, my practice, for one, I haven't even said that. The name of my practice oh, yeah. is, is Flex Physical Therapy Atlanta or Flex PT ATL. And so if you just go to flexptatl.com, that's my website. That's where you'll Love find it. everything about me. Um, mm-hmm. My Instagram is Lance underscore Frank. Uh, Instagram for business is Flex PT ATL. <laughs> TikTok, mm-hmm. Lance in your pants. Um, but yeah, the best way for people to get in touch with me is just probably just go to my website. That has... Yeah every sort of contact information that anyone could want, email, phone, fax number, <laughs> everything's on yeah. there. What's oh, a fax? Yeah. I don't know, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was such a fun interview. Yeah. Julie, Julie, did you enjoy this? Oh my God. I like, I'm mad that I have to go to work now. Yeah. <laughs> we all have to go to work now. I, I learned so much from you, Lance, and I feel like I could learn yeah. another hour, but you have to actually go help people. And um, <laughs> so we're, we, I have a feeling that we're going to get a great response to this episode. If people want to reach out through social, either to Lance directly or to us, we have our information in the show notes. If there's questions, we're happy to engage. We can uh, connect you with Lance. We can do anything we want to, to help people get more answers in this area, because this is growing like crazy. We hear about it all the time. Julie and I are now better at treating it uh, or at least referring to it um, after the podcast. (laughs) So, um, Thank you so much for giving us your time, Lance. We hope to stay in touch. Julie, at the end of this podcast, I think we're still asking. What the hell? <laughs> the amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. What the Health Podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast. 